Hello and welcome to the Dissidents Podcast, part of the Institute for Liberal Values. This is where we discuss how we can strive for a world in which freedom and reason are at the forefront of all human society. In this week's podcast, we'll begin the first of a two-part series on a concept called the Dark Triad. This is a theoretical concept from personality psychology. It is comprised of three traits, Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy. In this episode, we'll explore the link between socio-political extremism, such as alt-right ideology, as well as authoritarian political correctness, and the dark triad. This will serve as a basis for part two, in which we will be looking at how the same dark triad traits may be linked to virtue signaling. When this occurs, well-meaning people might allocate their material and social resources to people who are neither victims nor virtuous, rather than those who actually need them. Okay, hello everybody. Um, today we're going to be talking about the concept of the dark triad. Sounds deeply scary, uh, and maybe it is deeply scary actually. Um, th these, this is not a criminal organisation. The dark triad refers to um, three uh, negative or largely negative uh, personality traits uh, that certain individuals can manifest. Um, now, obviously, we have our resident psychologist, Elizabeth Spivak, with us. Um, so I'll just introduce the names of these uh, these concepts, and then I will let her do a far better job than I'm capable of, of, of defining exactly what they are. Um, but as they're traditionally defined, we have Machiavellianism, named after the allegedly manipulative um, Italian philosopher, although I think that that's a bit of an injustice. He was more pragmatic than manipulative and uh, not, not really a bad sort, but it certainly infers the negative kind of manipulative side. Um, narcissism, um, you know, looking in the mirror, being in love with oneself is the naive kind of the, the, the common parlance of narcissism being, but there's, there's deeper psychological meaning to that. Um, and finally, psychopathy, um, which in the common parlance is kind of, very aggressive, unfeeling kind of behavior. But again, there's 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 deeper um, consideration that we need to pay to each of those concepts. So if I can hand it over to you, Elizabeth. Um, so uh, as you know, I didn't really want to do this. Uh, you've been you've been pushing me to do this dark triad thing for a while, Sorry. and or and personality stuff in general for a while. And I've been resisting, and one of the, the, well, there's several reasons why I've been resisting, and I think it's important to maybe discuss those real real quick, and they may reappear as we talk. Of course. Um, first, um, so one of the issues that I have with um, with this is, is in part just demonstrated by the way that you introduced it. Um, which is that, you know, these are negative uh, personality traits. And I, I object to that a little bit in that there's just simply no negative person, you know, um, that uh, all That's of because these, you're too nice. <laughs> uh, well, all, of, uh, all personality traits have um, positive aspects of them, all of them. And so, um, so while, uh, it, you even, you know, said, you know, Machiavellianism, you know, named after Machiavelli, perhaps maybe not such a bad guy, more pragmatic. Than, and so all of these are on a continuum, right? So, um, and they're not even a bipolar, you know, you, you could, um, 
not not all of them are necessarily like low to high. We might think about other personality traits um, like uh, um, uh, you know, conscientiousness or openness to experience or agree, well, you mentioned agreeableness in your email to me. Um, you know, we, we manifest these even in different, uh, we manifest different personality, uh, aspects of our personality, even in different situations. So to suggest that we have, you know, one stable personality that, you know, um, that sort of, uh, reveals or, or uh, re rears its ugly head in the case of, <laughs> of a dark triad, uh, the way you described it, you know, in, in every situation would be, uh, I think, belied by most uh, research and stuff. So I was sort of pushing back against this because when I have done consulting work and we, uh, you know, handed out personality scales or even the traditional sort of, um, you know, what kind of, what's your work personality, you know, the more, you know, fun ones and stuff. The idea typically is to get people to respect others' differences, right? And what seems more likely to happen is that people uh, divide themselves based on these things. Well, you are a whatever, and I am this other thing. And people actually don't work together better. They often instead of trying to collaborate and figure out how to work with somebody, they often just say, well, we're never going to understand each other because you have a different personality or a different uh, type of thinking style than I do. So I'm always going, so I will keep coming back to this where I'm always going to say that there are advantages to all of these things, that some of these personality traits um, have uh, advantages that might not be immediately obvious, um, and that uh, without all of these differences, you know, uh, these nuances, uh, we'd have a pretty boring, uh, a pretty boring society, um, and we wouldn't have anyone to take risks, for example, like create risks that most of us think are nuts. You know, we need a certain number of people who are willing to take those risks. Those might be people who score high on psychopathy because their physiological response to risk is much lower. And so they don't break out in a sweat. They don't start, you know, breathing up. Their heart doesn't, doesn't race when they're, when they're doing something that's high risk. And, uh, and that's a good thing if you're, um, you know, if you need fighter pilots or if you need people who are going to go into space, um, if you're going to take firefighters, exactly, um, you know, police officers, the, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't think there's a, there's a strict cutoff where we'd say, oh, if you score, you know, like a, a specific um, uh, score, then, then that's, that's bad for society, right? And, and even if we knew this, um, one of the things that when I, when I teach my classes and stuff, people often uh, want to suggest that there's a certain personality type or certain neurological um, uh, things that would be associated with criminal behavior, for example. And uh, one of the things I like to ask people is, you know, it, even if that were true, what would we do with that? So let's just say that we could, you know, say, oh, there's this personality, you know, this uh, interesting, you know, predictive uh uh, con, you know, um, construct uh, of different personality traits that predict something negative. 
um, exactly what would we do with it? Would we test everyone in society uh, on this whatever magical scale that we have, right? And assuming then, we could invent one, right? Assuming yeah. we could invent one, right? Which there, yeah, there isn't one. Then yeah. we would test everyone and we would put them that, we would say, oh, you're, uh, you're at risk. We're going to prophylactically uh, either survey you, you know, um, get, put you under surveillance or maybe even incarcerate you because you scored so high or so low on something. And so that therefore to protect society, right? Of course we can't do that. We can't know people's uh, personality, even when we, sometimes when we think we do, a lot of times it's situational responses, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, that's bringing, bringing out or, or accentuating a particular aspect of someone's personality. Or even remember, people are not things, right? When we are observing people, they are observing us at the same time. And so it's a dynamic. And so we're also sort of uh, bringing out, um, you know, particular um, aspects of some pers someone's personality when we uh, interact with them in, in ways. So, um, so anyway, uh, I think this is very sort of um, uh, enticing you know, I mean, something called the dark triad, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's a that's a very enticing kind of thing. And certainly, we have two. We're only going to really talk a lot about one article, which is quite short. But I, we uh, had the other one too. Um, and I think that again, these are uh, there's you know some evidence, some evidence here that that's interesting and 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 fun to talk about. Um, but I just want to make sure that we honor and respect uh, the, you know, the, the wonderful variability of, of humanity. Of, of course, because to do otherwise would be fundamentally illiberal, right? Yes. You know, just because somebody scores in having a certain set of values doesn't mean that we can therefore assume that they're going to be, you know, of no help or fundamentally evil or anything like that. That would be, that would contradict the, the principle of individuality, which would be fundamentally illiberal. Um, and I also like the fact, and, and it, this is really important because I always try and do the, the same with ideology, right? You know, ideology being my bag, psychology being yours. Um, you know, John Stuart Mill once said that if you can't give a really, really good account of your opponent's position, then you have no business essentially arguing with your opponent, right? You've got to really understand the strengths as well as the weaknesses of their argument. It's no good just understanding the weaknesses, you know. So you can see, for example, it's quite readily obvious why psychopathy could manifest negative behaviors. But if you can't also understand the flip side of that, for example, that we, as you suggested, um, our society can't function if there aren't people like soldiers or firefighters who are disproportionately um, more likely to, to take risky behavior. And many of them would measure as psychopaths. And it doesn't mean that they're going to, then go home and go on a shooting rampage. The vast majority of psychopaths don't do that, pay taxes, law-abiding citizens, and would think that that kind of behavior is awful. Um, I, I get that. And, 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 you know, the kind of pigeonholing and boxing people, you know, by saying, okay, so you score high on, for example, psychopathy, and that therefore makes you a bad person because some psychopaths would behave in this way. Um, is a kind of categorization akin to racism, which is another kind of gross um, repudiation of individualism and, and really the kind of thing that, that we're absolutely against. Um, but let's go into the, 
the personality traits in a bit more depth. So I, okay, we've looked at psychopathy. Um, so as we understand psychopathy, it is a, so there's psychopathy and sociopathy, right? Sociopathy being the learned variable and psychopathy being innate. Is that correct? Um, or is that kind of like a false dichotomy? Yeah, I think it is. Mm -hmm. I think it is. Yeah. Um, I do think that, um, you know, mostly in psychology, um, researchers have, uh, focused on the aspects of psychopathy that are related to uh, behavioral uh, activation systems and behavioral inhibition systems. So that's probably sort of why you kind of get the idea that, um, you know, learned versus innate. And I don't know that, that you know, the, the line is, is that uh, clear, but certainly, um, you know, there's, there is evidence that uh, based on very, very small sample sizes, okay, that um, people who are um, uh, score high in psychopathy um, also seem to uh, be overly uh, responsive to rewards and, um, and seem to, well, really overly responsive to rewards and ha seem to have a pretty high tolerance for, uh, for risk. So they focus so much uh, on the rewards sometimes that they will continue to take risks uh, even when they're losing at sort of a gambling game and that kind of stuff. Even something as simple as, you know, getting a candy bar or whatever, they'll, they'll take much higher uh, risks and focus so hard on the risks that they, they don't learn the, uh, the punishment. So they seem to be more tolerant of punishment and or do not learn, you know, the, the punishment signals all, all that well. So, you know, in terms of our, you know, my example, you know, sort of not, you know, heart not racing and that kind of stuff. I mean, most of us, if we had to break into, so like, even if we're breaking into our own house, right, because we locked ourselves out or like, our, you know, it's like we're afraid that somebody's going to call the cops because they might see us trying to break into our own house and that kind of thing where, where maybe somebody who scores high in psychopathy um, doesn't get those internal signals that, uh, that we do that would uh, make us afraid, you know, to, to do something that's even uh, perfectly okay, um, you know. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, we get this disin disinhibition um, in, uh, you know, together with a lack of remorse, maybe callousness, um, you know, a disregard for social norms. Those are kind of the things that we might associate with, um, you know, with psychopathy. But let me just say also that most teenagers score quite high in psychopathy. So pretty much any done. teenager, you know, <laughs> um, a psychopath. including us, probably, uh, right? You know, well, I mean, we, okay, let's, 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 okay, let's look at the positive and the negative there. So for example, um, you know, for us, um, psychopathy would be needed to stand up to critical social justice bullies. You know, we know that they're out there. Sometimes somebody who is willing to take a big risk and stand up to these people, maybe, you know, that might be an adaptive quality there. Um, in psychopathy, somebody's actually right. To take and again, you know, this is like you know what's what's high and what's low, and 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 that kind of stuff. Um, you know, depends on the scale and 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 everything that's used. Um, you know, there's even a you know a 
a couple or three scales and even the articles that, that we looked at here, um, the hair psychopathy checklist is sort of a, uh, a standard and that requires an, an actual interview. The, the mm -hmm. articles we're going to talk about here, you know, I mean, they answered like four questions, you know, um, so that's very different than, um, you know, the, you know, something that's a clinical interview based scale. So we just have to remember that these, this, the, um, the participants in a study like this are from the normal population, just everyday people who answered a few questions um, about, uh, you know, about how they self-reported how they feel about themselves, right? And so I think there's one argument to be made that people who, when they answer something, um, you know, that's maybe negative, and I actually pulled up a couple of the, I have, if uh, if we need them, I have a couple of, of the scales, like, you know, sitting on my computer here, if we need to look at them, but um, that if they're willing to admit that they maybe take it, manipulate or take advantage of others or uh, don't care about other people or whatever, that maybe uh, uh, the people on the uh, on that extreme are maybe even more likely to be that extreme because there is the even on something that's maybe they think is anonymous, um, there's this you know social desirability that that's even when we're sitting alone answering a survey that we know that people don't value that, right? So if you're willing to, to say that, you must really be, um, <laughs> you know, willing to admit that. And, um, you know, and that's that's one of the complaints about something like a, an authoritarianism scale in general, <laughs> or a, um, a racism scale, or a, uh, a scale about um, uh, attitudes about immigrants or something like that that there is this social desirability factor that would prohibit people from responding. So you're really only capturing the few people who are at the, you know, at the extremes, because those are the people who, um, who are not responsive to, to social norms. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there's, there's value in, in even a, uh, a self-report perhaps from, if you look at it from, from that perspective. Um, and then the neuroticism, the, you know, sort of self grandiosity and, and, and sort of prestige driven, um, uh, were you going to say something else? About narcissism, you mean? Oh, yeah, narcissism. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's another, you know, um, I think that it, you know, uh, the, Again, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the article that we were going to talk about also included um, an, an entitlement scale. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I looked that scale up, the, uh, the overlap with narcissism was, uh, you know, pretty, uh, very, very similar, very, very similar questions. Um, narcissism and this sort of um, uh, entitlement you know, I can't remember exactly what, uh, right, the second, um, the psychological entitlement scale. So that's nine items. I honestly just feel I'm more deserving than others was their example. And that's, you know, um, a little bit, you know, the, the overlap between narcissism and the psychological entitlement was pretty high, I thought, in the questions. So what's your, what's your, what are your thoughts about narcissism? Um, well, I'm not qualified to talk about it in the same depth that, that, that you are, um, you know, again, my thing being ideology, or something I understand, um, you know, however, when I have come up against, um, you know, real 
critical social justice ad, you know, advocates, not necessarily the scholars, by the way, like the people who really, really get it usually aren't like this, but the, the real kind of the advocates, the advocates really, I mean, I, I think it's really, 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 really important to distinguish the, you know, even if they're both academics, right? So they're, you know, let's say person A is an advocate and person B is a scholar, but they're both academics working in a prestigious university. Sometimes these are working at the top, top universities and academic A may be an advocate, right? So he or she may be, their whole identity is constructed around the ideology or, or at least their version of the ideology. But they often, um, and these are the pathological ones I want to talk about, they, they, they seldom seem to know their own literature in any significant depth um, and often seem to be seizing upon little nuggets of it that justify their behavior. Um, and I think- so an, Yeah, an yeah. overconfidence, um, you know, like I just wanted to read a couple of the- Sure. You know, the, the, you know, um, I tend to want others to admire me I tend to want others to pay attention to me. I tend to seek prestige or status. Yeah. I tend to expect special favors from others. Those are some, you know, examples, um, you know, from, you know, the, the narcissism aspect. Um, people see me as a natural leader. Oh, yeah. Um, um, many group activities tend to be dull without me. I know that I'm special because everyone keeps telling me so. Um, I have been compared to famous people. <laughs> so that's some of, you know, some of the items. Um... Right. So, I mean, what I want to draw a big distinction, because, because I, I, I think that these, you know, perhaps in an anecdotal way, if you don't think that the evidence stacks up here, but, but it, it, anecdotally, it seems to, it seems to fit quite well. Again, not the scholars, you know, I know people who are scholars in critical race theory, who would say that, you know, all of the bullying, the ideological bullying that's going on, it's 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 real it's happening it's a misportrayal of the their, what they would view as the key points of their literature um and they would condemn that kind of behavior some of them do um, yeah, I think so the so scholars that, don't tend to behave like, yeah. that, behave like I, that i think to use your argument on you know the same argument you used in um, psychopathy i think that you need to have a certain amount of psychological entitlement and a certain amount of narcissism in order to fight back against some of this too, right? In order to write articles that uh, like the ones, um, you know, that, that we're, you know, that we're going to look at today, uh -huh. um, you have to feel as though you have something to contribute. And sometimes you have to feel that way in, um, in spite of, uh, you know, I say evidence, I use the term, you know, you know, arguments against you. And so you, you, there's maybe a certain amount of narcissism that is productive, right? That keeps you, um, you know, pushing against, um, you know, uh, forces that would try to tamp you down. So just, you know, again, to continue our argument that there's, you know, there's good and bad and that there's usefulness um, on, uh, you know, on both both sides. This is probably an oversimplification, but it, it, I think it works as a heuristic um, to kind of understand the point that we're making. And I, I think we talked to Spencer about it in the podcast on uh, patriotism, in which he made the point that, you know, okay, look, we all know that patriotism can go way too far, become jingoistic. There are lots of historical examples, just, you know, look at the Nazis and, and what they did. We know that that's bad. 
Um, but there might also be a deficiency, right? A deficiency of patriotism that you feel no connection to the place in which you live um, and therefore your community. And therefore you don't really have that kind of contextual anchor um, that all human beings need in order to function within whatever society it is they exist, right? Um, and so he suggested that the there's a sweet spot, right? Mm -hmm. Aristotle called this the, the doctrine of the mean in his book, Nic Nicomachean Ethics, which is the middle, right? Where you, you do, you have an anchor, you have a sense of appreciation um, for your society and the people who came before you that built it and all of the great things that they did. But you can also criticize it. You can also look at the bad things that have. You can look at slavery in the sense of America, and you could appreciate how how awful that was. Um, and you could look at the bad things that America might be doing right now and be able to criticize them, if nothing else, so as to build a better society. Right. So, so you don't want to be at the deficiency or the excess. Um, but you got to have just got to have enough to keep you going, right? <laughs> but it's really interesting because, but then within a society. So, for example, let's say we have a society like a social context, like the one within which we both op operate, which is academia, where you'd say, okay, critical social justice ideology is probably not dominant amongst most people um, in, you know, in their in own internal headspace, but it's become dominant because there are very few people who are willing to stand up for it, stand up against it, sorry. Um, and so in that sense, you would want individuals who are perhaps a little bit, towards the excessive side, right? A little bit excessive on narcissism, a little bit excessive on psychopathy. And maybe, you know, maybe if, you know, the people that we're going up against the Machiavellian as well, maybe then we need to break the rules as well. Um, right. So maybe all of those I mean, traits are, are desirable in pushing back. Not, not, not even desirable, maybe necessary. Necessary, right. Because Machiavellianism would be the more, you know, sort of, uh, manipulative, exploitive, um, you know, power-based aspect of this, right? Um, where you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm the smartest. Let's get rid of all the other smart people, right? <laughs> um, kind of kind of thing. I'm the prettiest, so that, and but get but get rid of all the pretty people. And so um, so yeah, I think that uh, a little, you know, the the sort of competitive power-based aspect of that also needed you know i mean um somebody's got to step up right <laughs> so um so do we want to um actually sort of you know the um the article mm -hmm. is is actually entitled the dark triad traits predict authoritarian political correctness and alt-right attitudes um and the authors measured some demographics, which I do want, I don't want to uh, stop without talking about the demographics. Um, so we'll, we can go back to that at the end. Um, they used something called the short dark triad. And that was some of the questions that I um, had read off with regard to narcissism. But some of the questions for um, Machiavellianism, I like to use clever manipulation to get my way. Um, it is wise to keep track of information so that you can use it against people later. You should wait for the right time to get back at people. 
There are things you should hide from other people to preserve your reputation. Uh, make sure your plans benefit yourself, not others. Most people can be manipulated. So that's, you know, that's some of the uh, Machiavellian uh, questions. And I think that, you know, again, just as you mentioned, you know, using some of the um, manipulation, you know, use Works on both sides. So the authors <laughs> of this paper, oh, I should have read, uh, Jordan Moss and uh, Peter O'Connor. Um, and this was, what year was this? 2020. Um, so they used the short dark triad, the psychological entitlement scale, which uh, I think I have a couple of items on that one, if you're interested. Mm -hmm. um, I, oh, I do have to put on my glasses to read this one. Holy cow. I honestly feel I'm just more deserving than others. Great things should come to me. If I were on the Titanic, I would deserve to be on the first lifeboat. I demand the best because I'm worth it. I do not necessarily, oh, I deserve more things in my life. Uh, people like me deserve extra break now and then. Things should go my way. I feel entitled to more of everything. So that's some items on that scale. Then this political correctness scale, and they only list, they only offer the two items. Yeah. I could not get this scale because it's part of someone's dissertation. It yeah, has I never couldn't been, get it. Yeah, yeah, it's never been published as far as I know. Um, uh, so this is just, you know, a, a student's uh, dissertation item. But this, uh, but that, and that's important to note because it's an unpublished scale. It probably hasn't been um, they, they certainly list the reliabilities here, and, and I'm, I don't question them, but it hasn't been tested, you know, um, over uh, uh, many, many studies. Um, so they have two uh, subscales of this political correctness uh, scale. One is uh, political correctness authoritarianism. So we can call that, you know, PC authoritarianism. And then political correctness liberalism, so PC liberalism. Um, so they do list just two example items, which is the best that we can um, offer the listeners. An example of PC liberalism item would be there's no biologically based differences in personality, talent, and ability to reason between racial groups. Right. Individualism, in other words. Right. And then PC authoritarianism, one item is when a change of sex, uh, when, a change, a charge. when a charge of sexual assault is brought forth, the alleged perpetrator should have to prove his or her innocence. Right, which is kind of standpoint epistemology. Um, you know, I can make claims. My claims have to be accepted on face value. Um, certainly, po political correctness, authoritarianism has come hand in hand with narcissism, with the, you know, again, not the scholars, um, and but the the advocates who again often they're academics who invest their identity in this, but they they really pick and choose items of the the ideology that they can use usually for bolstering their own status and bullying. Um, I can give examples of political correctness authoritarianism. Um, I've used it on this podcast before. This is one of my favourite ones, and this is a real life one that I came up against. Somebody that I think is must or you know is it, it very much is a narcissist. And that person um, would say something that write out a whole kind of things, alleging various, this person made a microaggression here, 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 and here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and, and, and you know, 
I, I don't know what was inside that person's brain. Maybe they did intend the offence. Maybe they didn't. They weren't given an opportunity to defend themselves. So I, I, I just don't know, right? Um, nevertheless, after this person wrote this big spiel, the next few lines were, <gasps> that was really difficult to, to write. I'm exhausted and emotionally drained after writing this. I would appreciate some validation. And, and this is kind of in the language of critical social justice. And this is something that this person had learned because it's a behavior that is common within these circles. They're constantly asking each other for validation, validation, validation. I need validation. It's, it's almost a manner. You know, you, 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 you never question, query, um, or even try to qualify any experience that they say they have had. Um, you must immediately validate everything that they've said to the fullest extent that they've said it, said it, or even more. Um, and I've seen in my own life on a number of occasions coming up against these people, I have seen, you know, what I would regard as people who, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I would be willing to bet if a psychologist was to put them on the couch and, you know, put them through their paces would very, very likely get a clinical diagnosis of narcissism because that exists, right? A clinical diagnosis of narcissism. Yeah. There is a clinical diagnosis for narcissism and psychopathy, but not for Machiavellianism, so far as I understand it. And not from these scales. No, no, not from these scales. No, yeah. and I'm not <laughs> trying to say that these people have a clinical diagnosis and I'm not even saying who they are. I'm simply saying that if I were a psychologist, no, if I could put them in front of a psychologist, I would be surprised if they didn't receive that clinical um, diagnosis. Because what I've seen with these people um, in a number of contexts is going into spaces. Let's use the um, let's use the critical social justice term, right? So they, they have spaces, spaces for black people, as if black people needed a space, which I think is a kind of racist assertion, but, but never mind. Spaces for gay people, as if gay people needed a space, I, you know, I get the same point. But anyway, they will often um, enter into spaces despite not being of the, for them, required, uh, you know, sexual persuasion or, or, or ethnic identity. And they will very quite quickly, especially this happens when you have this with academics who are going into student spaces, um, they will quite quickly use their power status as, as an academic, as somebody who's at a university, for example, um, to make everything about them. Um, so an example that, 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 that I'm aware of that happened at a university that my friend, um, not me, a friend worked at, um, uh, a gay student was going to make a presentation on um, a certain topic about related to LGBT rights in Japan. Um, but this student wasn't part of the LGBT group that had been set up by the academics it was supposed to be led by students, but it wasn't, it was being led by the, by, by, by the academics who were then, you know, ordering the students. So, so this student who was going to give this presentation wasn't a part of that group but she wanted to give a presentation on LGBT rights anyway, which of course, fine, right? No problem with that. Um, but 
some of these academics went completely crazy, uh, then bullied the student and said, right, we have to vet everything that you are going to do in your presentation, even though she had the presentation had nothing to do with that group. Um, so what they were doing is making everything about them. And so, you know, I, I can understand that there, there may be flaws in, in the methodology or not even flaws necessarily, but the, the evidence might not be there yet. And, um, that, um, it, it does take all sorts that sometimes some people who are slightly excessive in narcissism and psychopathy and even Machiavellianism are indeed necessary. Um, nevertheless, I think that you, you can, these gauges, if you like, can be useful tools in understanding, um, not in diagnosing necessarily, but in understanding uh, the motivations of, for lack of a better word, toxic people. I mean, what well, do you I think? Mean, so, you know, when we did the group think article, it's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you know, um, we came away saying, or saying, you know, there's evidence here and it certainly feels, uh, you know, it passes the face validity test, right? This, the this Facebook validity fit, test. Right? <laughs> yeah. Facebook. No, not the Facebook no, validity joking. test. Just Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, that it, it, it seems to fit, right? And the same thing with the, you know, the existential threat article that we did a deep dive on, right? That, that um, you know, there's, there seems to be a, a fit there. I mean, you know, so um, I think this is the same way, you know, that... Um, you know, that there seem, you know, it, it, it feels intuitively like this is going somewhere, like, you know, that, that this is a, um, a, um, a fruitful uh, research, you know, direction. Um, so then also this white identitarian scale. And um, I also could not get that. I don't know if, so it's in a book. Um, and so, I, you know, it's in um, this, uh, oh no, it, I lied, I lied. It's um, in a, um, a conference, uh, um, looks like, it look like, looks like conference proceedings or something, because it's got a date on it, you know, to for conference. So I couldn't, I, I couldn't access that either. Um, but it does list, uh, the article does list a question. Um, there is a progressive conspiracy against white identity. Um, and, and they, they try to make it clear, um, what it is and what it is not. I, I can flesh um, that out a bit if you like. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, within, um, okay. So, you know, the term all right is really problematic because basically anybody can be labeled as alt-right. I've been labeled as alt-right, even though I measure reliably left-wing on social uh, and economic issues. Um, so being called alt-right or even being called a conservative sometimes is just, can be just a meaningless throwaway term. However, um, in terms of what we would traditionally, you know, 10 years have called like white supremacy groups, say like the, the KKK, um, the Nazis as well, um, any of those kind of groups that believe that there is something innately morally and, uh, 
intellectually, perhaps even physiologically um, superior about white people versus other races. Among those groups, there is a belief that, um, I can give you the Nazi version, which is kind of the, the, the most common one. And it, it's quite scary how widespread this belief has become actually, and how much it's resurgent recently, even within some anti, anti-woke circles. Um, so there is a belief that in the first instance, um, how do, how, how, when I say we did, I don't believe any of this stuff. So, but I'm just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to give you their argument. I don't agree with this argument. I, I will tear it to shreds later, but, but I'm going to articulate it. So they would say, do we know that white people are superior? They would say yes. And you would say, well, okay, how do you know that white people are superior? What evidence do you have? And they would then say, well, look at all of the various Nobel prizes by race. Um, look at where most of in history, most, you know, in recent history, at least most ec economic progress, most scientific progress, um, has been driven, which in general are the safest parts of the world. Um, Essentially, East Asia, but uh, Tokyo. Um, <laughs> we can see, they like Japan, by the way. They like the the alt right types tend to love Japan. They often point to Japan and they say, "Look, you know, Japan's a very homogenous society, and that's one of the reasons why Japan is so successful." Um, and so, yeah, they they're arguing for the superiority of white people, which is evidenced in the various cultural and civilizational achievements of countries that have been predominantly white. So that's their evidence. Um, they then think that in order to gain political capital, um, certain groups within predominantly white countries like the United States have deliberately brought in waves upon waves of immigrants. So they bring in waves and waves of immigrants. These people are in their view, a, a, a drain to the economy on balance. Um, but they're bringing them in anyway, even though it's creating criminal problems, they're a drain on the economy, so on and so forth, because that will keep them in power. So they're happy to damage the country in order to keep them in power. So they're, they're, they're replacing the, the white working and middle classes, in other words, in order to keep a, a certain group of people in power. The certain group of people in power um, is, can you guess who they are? the group of people who are pulling the strings and then engineering all the manipulation of all of these ethnic minorities to come in. Come on. Who do they think they are? The, they think they're the Jews often. So often it's Jewish elites are manipulating systems. They're damaging the countries they exist in because they have no kind of ties to those countries that they have ties to you know, the Jewish religion or Israel or themselves as an ethnicity. Um, and they're deliberately fucking up countries in order to keep themselves in power. That's the kind of the, the, the great replacement theory. And versions of this permeate through, um, but, but by no means all, but, but, but plenty of right-wing discourses. Um, you can even get a version of it on T Tucker Carlson, for example. And he doesn't say Jews, but he does say that, for example, democratic elites are so his one wouldn't necessarily be an anti-semitic one because he doesn't say jews but um he would certainly he has certainly said stuff like the democratic elites are deliberately getting waves and waves of immigrants in to replace the white voters because the white voters would vote republican um 
in order so the democratic elites can keep themselves in power. So that's a kind of a white identitarianism. It's a belief that, the, that you know, first of all, there is such a thing as the white race, which is a dubious statement in and of itself, given the various historic, linguistic, religious, um, cultural, geographic barriers that have existed, and then intermingling that have existed between various groups of people who you might call white. But anyway, they believe that one, there is such a thing called white, which I don't, um, not in a meaningful sense anyway. Um, two, um, that there is something special about white people. Um, and three, that they need to be preserved as a consequence, even at the expense of other races, because they are superior. Now, what's really, really important here, and this is why, you know, from an ideological point of view, um, this article seems to make so much sense, is that the this assertion of kind of white identitarianism is often the same as authoritarian political correctness, like literally the same thing. So, for example, the arguably the most famous and influential alt-right figure in America is a chap called Richard Spencer. Have you heard of him? Yeah, um, quite famous. Um, and he espouses basically versions of what I've just said, right? Um, he also will often share, like, and retweet posts by Ibram X. Kendi, who mm -hmm. is arguably, I mean, I, you know, if you go by book sales and things like that, speaking fees and how much money he's making, and he's very arguably the most um, influential figure within critical social justice there is right now. Um, and the two basically agree with each other, right? You, you know, the, whereas Ibram X. Kendi would say, well, look at all these civilizational achievements um, that white people have made. And he'd say that that happens. They have elevated themselves into a position of power over other people. All of this has happened. Spencer is absolutely correct about that. But he would argue that it doesn't show a, any superiority. It shows a moral deficiency in white people which again is a ridiculous thing to say, but if you look at that from an you know, evolutionary point of view, if you were to say that, okay, we're just looking at an organism, let's call that organism white people, and let's say everything that they've said is true, then it wouldn't really matter whether that success had come out of some kind of moral deficiency or some kind of superiority, because they would be the same thing. They would be adaptive qualities right, in an organism, if what they were saying was true, and I don't think it is, but if what they were saying was true, they would be essentially agreeing with each other. It doesn't matter whether you subjectively opine it to be malign or benign. Um, the fact is, is that it has happened, and that quality for white people must be adaptive if everything else you're saying is true, which just shows how incoherent the whole critical social justice lot are, because they basically, they basically, no, but it's true, because they basically are making the same argument as the alt-right are albeit just putting a slightly, a very, 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 very subtly different label on it. Um, and and, and I, I should be clear when I say this, when I'm saying I put Candy, who is an academic, I put him in the advocate group, right? I, I don't think he's a very nuanced thinker. I, his arguments are incoherent. I don't think he's very well read. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that he's the same as somebody like a, a Murray Master or a Charles Mills or someone like that, who I would disagree with on a number of levels, but wouldn't come out with arguments that that puerile. Um, but you would have to say, nevertheless, he is 
arguably the most influential person in critical social justice because of his book sales, the number of people who read him. And he's, yeah, and he's essentially arguing the same thing as, um, as the alt-right types do. Um, so that, yeah, that draws the line between white identitarianism and political, um, PC authoritarianism. So I was just going to say that, um, you know, they, they say we define it here as a set of political attitudes characterized by strong feelings of white identity, solidarity, and a belief in uh, white victimization. Yeah. Now, given everything you just said, we're, we're not getting around to the article yet, but that's okay. Uh, given everything you just said, so let me ask you a question. Um, mm. Is there an Asian identitarianism? Is there a Jewish identitarianism? Is there a black identitarianism? Yeah. And should, and should, um, should we consider like, for example, if we were going to, um, uh, uh, replicate this study, which we're, you know, we're getting around to talking about, would we want to have, would we want to measure those, um, and consider those? Yes. Although, you know, again, if you want to look at, um, ethnic minorities within the alt-right or within critical social justice, they basically don't exist. Um, they're all white. Um, the best thing. But I'm just evidence. saying like, you know, uh, uh, so let's just replace this, you know, like right. with, um, you know, feelings of a Jewish identity, Jewish solidarity and a belief in Jewish victimization. Um, you know, feelings of how about gender? you know, feelings of gender identity, gender solidarity, and gender victimization. So I think that there is, you know, and, and so I, I guess I just, I just mentioned that because when we get, when we eventually get to the findings, I think that's very relevant. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, to the, the, to the consideration of the, the relationships that they, that they got here. So, 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 so would, for example, if we looked at a, uh, I don't know, a group of black people, a sample of black people, would the, those who, you know, there would be some black people who measure strongly in ethnic identitarianism, black identitarianism, and there would be some that don't so much and some that don't at all. Um, would the ones who very strongly identify with their, their race, would they be higher in psychopathy as well? You'd have to presume so, wouldn't you? If, 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 well, if, I mean, if the, look, the findings of this are correct, you'd have right. to presume they So that's, might. yeah, that's one of the things, like if, if we were talking to students, right, one of the things that I would say to my students is, you know, even if we don't, let's, um, let's not be overly critical of the article without, without also, you know, we can, we can criticize the article. Let's also think about what if some, you know, um, let's just, you know, choose something like what you just, what, what you just said, um, uh, what if that aspect of these findings is, uh, is accurate, does turn out to, you know, does hold out over, over time, um, or, uh, turns out to be, uh, you know, really relevant, you know, in, in, in future research and stuff, what could that mean? And that's what you just, you know, just pointed out, right? What could that mean? Well, that could mean, uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, willing to that, stop at that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to say what, 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 what that could mean and what I think it does mean. And, and, and this is me going full on ideological. This is holding my hands up and saying that I am a liberal ideologue, right? Not liberal in the way that Americans think of liberal, which just means left wing, but liberal in the way that, you know, 
academics think of what liberal means. I, you know, I believe in the liberal project. I believe in liberal democracies. I believe in the kind of societies in which, which are the most tolerant, diverse, prosperous that have ever existed, which is such as America and the UK and Japan and so forth. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe that ethnic gender, sexual identitarianism is poison by and large. I, I, I think that, you know, okay, that there, there's an adaptive side to it because it helps you have a community, but I think that there are better ways to form communities, um, such as a local knitting club, for example, <laughs> where you identify with your love of knitting or, or a book club or a, a, a football team, you know, you know, there is a positive aspect with identity. Any kind of identitarianism does give you a community and that, you know, that's helpful. But I think that history has shown us that when we seek to draw arbitrary ethnic divisions between people and try to reify them, try to make them real, um, to make them more than they are, right? You know, British people exist because they have a British passport and they're different from Americans and there might be some cultural differences, but are the similarities more important than the differences? Um, with human beings, I think human well, beings are, And there's you know, this aspect of whatever that group is, um, their victimization. Yes. And so that's, an, you know, that, that aspect of it. So uh, I don't think we can ever get away from, you know, again, as human beings, the world is so complicated. Right. I mean, all day long, you know, we have to group things into good for me, bad for me, you know, dangerous, not dangerous, you know, someone, uh, you know, friend or foe and, and, you know, red light, green light, you know, do I want, you know, um, all that kind of, you know, all day long. Um, and so I don't think we can ever get away from that, you know, that sort of grouping, you know, that uh, there's, a, there's a difference between sort of identity and identitarianism. I guess, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of this, you know, uh, our discussion here that, you know, there's, um, there's this grouping and then there's this belief that our group has been systematically uh, victimized or is currently systemically victimized, right? And so um, I don't know if the knitting group <laughs> um, or the book club, um, would necessarily inspire that same. Um, You'd no? be surprised, I think. Have you like like you can imagine like a community center, right? When there's like a group of elderly people, and uh, they're all kind of vying over mm. each other, like who's going to get the room? We want to have this room this day, and and you know then there's somebody who's working as a kind of uh, receptionist who's basically in her spare time trying to figure out. Okay, we'll put them here this time. You know, this time. I, I guarantee you that feelings of victimization would arise and probably conflict from them. I, I, I bet you we could find examples of that pretty quickly and pretty easily. I mean, human beings well, want, love to feel like victims, don't they? Yes, yes. And so I definitely want to come back to that um, when we talk about the results of this study, mm -hmm. right? So um, so what did, uh, what did they find? Um, well, they found that aspects of the dark triad significantly predicted. So, and by predicted, we don't mean an experiment, right? We mean correlation. You know, so people answered these as as surveys. Um, the uh, you know the correlations between 
uh, white identitarianism. Uh, and so obviously only the, um, the people who ident self-identified as Caucasian were included in that analysis. Okay. Um, and I don't, I'm sure we have the N on that. I don't know how many offhand, how many of each do we know? Um, the paper I actually don't know the, the number. I think that. it was 200 and... Yeah, we have 243 males, 268 females. Uh-huh. Um, I don't see the... Uh, For the Caucasian group? I do not. Do you? I need to pull it up. I see the coding. Uh, um, where am I? But I, I don't see how many. Uh, how many we have. I can't see it either. Um, so um, Machiavellianism significantly predicted or, or was significantly correlated with white identitarianism, narcissism, not as much. Machiavellianism was the highest. And then psychopathy, not, not correlated. Um, and then when they did another round, so they're doing hierarchical linear modeling here, they uh, found when they entered um, the entitlement in that actually, um, as I mentioned, highly correlated with narcissism. And in fact, the entitlement uh, measure sort of sucked out the effect of narcissism. So now we're, so when, when entered into the model, Machiavellianism, narcissism, psychopathy, and entitlement, we only have Machiavellianism and entitlement left in the model predicting white identitarianism. So, um, so now to your question, before we go on to the, the political correct, uh, politically correct uh, subscales. So um, would you think then that, you know, if we took another identitarian, you know, um, you know, uh, gender knitting book club, um, council for aging, whoever, um, do you think that, that that relationship would be preserved, that Machiavellianism and entitlement would be significantly correlated with whatever form of identitarianism? I would guess yes, yes, yes. Um, provided that those um, groups felt like they were endangered. That they felt that they were under some kind of existential threat. Not necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, they were being victimized, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally... What do you think? You agree? I totally agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, um, I mean, so I people, would... people who would score higher in entitlement and people who scored higher on Machiavellianism, regardless of their, the identitarianism scale, this, these fictitious scales that we just made up, um, you know, I would think that it would predict, you know, they would, you know, be correlated with one another. And let me just say that these correlations are, um, I mean, they're, you know, I mean, you know, they're significant, right? But they don't explain a lot of the variance. So, you know, so we have, um, you know, we would have to square these in order to get the amount of variance explained. And, and it's, um, you know, I mean, we don't want to get too, we don't want to get overexcited here. Um, okay. Now, um, the political correct, politically, the PC authoritarianism, 
um, we have a similar kind of uh, situation here where we have the correlations, but when they did the, the hierarchical linear modeling, um, we have the uh, Machiavellian, Machiavellian, the dark triad, all three of those, <laughs> uh, Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy, all um, significant in the model predicting PC authoritarianism. And then, however, when they entered, uh, and, and by the way, um, uh, narcissism was the strongest, although it's, a, it's close, right? Um, then when they entered the entitlement aspect in there, then it became only, the only two sig significant were the entitlement and the psychopathy. So um, essentially the combination of psychopathy and entitlement sort of sucked out the effects of the, um, the narcissism and the Machiavellianism. So we have a slightly different, uh, a little different pattern there where Machiavellianism is the strongest and then entitlement for the identitarianism, but the entitlement and psychopathy for the um, authoritarianism. And they do mention that the authoritarianism is associated with, um, you know, more aggressive acts, right? That that's that's it's that's the marker, right? Um, where it's uh, you know a desire the. Um, Attitudes primarily concerned with um, aggression, you know, willingness to use uh, aggression and force to achieve the uh, ideological goals. So that kind of makes sense then. Here's a question for you. If you had a choice between using force or kind of coercion, you know, like uh, aggressive language, that kind of behavior, or Machiavellianism to achieve your aim, which one would you go for? Um, so, uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm more Machiavellian. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, and just this conversation has really like brought out actually like that kind of dark triad aspect in myself. Yeah. I have, yeah, yeah. not well, in a I way where about... I've been dishonest or I've misled people or I've lied right. or I've done anything like that. I've not lied. I've not tricked. Right. But that sort of laying in wait kind of thing. Yeah, no, see, when I've come up against these people, I know exactly how they're going to behave. And I, like a lot of the time, like the psychopathy, the, the kind of the aggressive reaction, I've known exactly how they're going to react. And so I've, I've not tricked or lied or misled or done anything like that. But because I know what they're going to do, I've made sure that I make sure everybody can see what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Right. So there are certain ways. Well, yeah, and, you, and you're patient and you wait for them to trip themselves up. Correct. Know? I Which mean, is and that's some of, that was, that's very Machiavellian. And I was thinking, you know, so, uh, the reason I answered that way was because, um, you know, from being canceled, um, my, uh, you know, it's sort of like, you know, my, uh, my my significant other would say, you know, go after them, go after them and go after them, you know, like get in their face and and everything. And one of the things I kept saying was, um, I want them to never know the next time it's going to happen. So I want to I, I want nothing. I want I want them to relax. And then have something happen. 
and then relax and then have something happen and then realize they can never relax. See, this is like the, the point. This that's, is, this and that's Machiavellian, right? But it might also I'm not be even justice. saying that I've, I don't it's even not, know that I've been successful at doing no, that, but it's sort of like, I want that. I, I, you know, it's like, that's my fantasy is that there's a, that, that you can't ever forget because you never know when um, I'm going to remind you of that, you know, that, that, that was um, anti um, intellectual, right? What you did was, you know, anti was against, you know, academic freedom. It was against, you know, freedom of speech. It was against research in general, which is everything that academics supposedly stand for. You know, what you did was, uh, was you know, to, to harm all of those things. And I want to keep reminding you at random times. And that is very Machiavellian. That's why I answered that way. But, but it's, yeah, no, fine. But, but, but this is why the concept of Machiavellianism really needs some work. And this is what I started off with by saying that, you know, calling Machiavellianism necessarily a dark triad trait is mm. it's yeah. like I, I could see how it could be right so for example i mean some of the things that have happened to me that would be machiavellian and i would say are are bad um like when i had somebody at my university say that i was you know despite having a gay sister who's married i went to her wedding and lots of gay friends and kinds of no problems there um just out, up, like out of the blue inventing that I was a homophobic psychopath who had bullied students on campus for being gay and sabotaged gay events, which never happened. It's not like an exaggeration or he's a bit right wing right. or he's all right. That's just completely like out of nowhere. And, but you know, people believe that stuff. Right. And then if you go and tell people these lies, that's a kind of Machiavellianism that is manipulative in this but, but manipulative in an unjust kind of way right you're you're, right. you're using deceit subterfuge in order right. to get your own way um so i can see why that definitely should be labeled as a dark triad kind of behavior because you're you're sabotaging people but also you're sabotaging institutions because you're creating problems for people who might very well have something to add Maybe not me, but, but but somebody else. And the individual was doing similar things to other people who were also innocent, right? Um, so I can see that way that would be a dark triad. But then also Machiavellianism might be broadly synonymous with the very Christian virtue of turning the other cheek. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when these people went after me um, and I literally straight out of the Bible turned the other cheek, you know, um, okay. I'm not a racist. I did, I'm sorry if you felt that way. I did not intend for you to feel that way. And I feel that it is unfair for you to claim that you know my own mind better than I do. You're entitled to your opinion. And I'm glad you feel it comfortable expressing it, but it's not true. You do not know my own mind better. So it's very, very firm. I held my ground, but I was very, very polite and measured in everything that I said. So I was turning the other cheek. I wasn't lashing out at them. And I knew and I, I've done this a few times with them. I know what they'll do next. They'll get more and more frustrated and eventually they'll go crazy and start throwing F-bombs and calling me all kind of names under the sun because they can't get through with their kind of, they want me to kind of fold or they want me to start throwing punches or, you know, the, you know, the verbal equivalent, start calling them all fucking idiots and that kind of thing. Um, but if I don't do that, if I just keep restating my position in a calm, logical and polite way, I know that they will explode. It always happens. 
they get completely frustrated and then they just reveal themselves to be who they are, which is a bunch of bullies. That's kind of Machiavellian, right? Because mm -hmm. I, in a sense, I'm manipulating them because I know I'm getting them to behave in a certain way. But, and I knew, like, I know, I know this is, this is how you're going to behave and I'm going to manipulate you into behaving this way. I, I knew that from the start, but I'm not doing it in a dishonest way. I'm not, maybe not telling them that I know that they're going to behave in this right. way. <laughs> yeah. Not holding up a sign. No, but, but at the same time, I'm not bullying them. I'm not lying to them. I'm not lying to anybody else. I'm not bullying anybody else. I'm just, you know, holding my cards a little bit close to my chest and not right. responding with anger and not responding in this kind of way that they want me to do. Is that, should that be like regarded as a dark triad thing? I don't, I mean, I would argue no, I would argue that's no, perfectly reasonable. Yeah. In fact, that's arguably the most ethical way of dealing with things, right? Absolutely. Um, so then when we get to PC, um, uh, the, um, libertarian kind of, uh, version, um, mm -hmm. we get, um, psycho in, in the regression model, we get psychopathy as negatively predictive, right? And in fact, then when they enter the entitlement, nothing happens. It's still psychopathy as negatively uh, predictive in, in the model. So basically there's like nothing going on in that PC liberal, you know, kind of, uh, which is um, us because we're, you know, um, not, not too much going on there. So, um, nothing in the dark triad or the, um, except for psychopathy in a, you know, but negatively predictive, um, was, uh, was useful in, in the model. Um, So I don't know, what do you, I mean, how do you feel about, how do you feel about that? What would you, let me ask you this, what would you put in the model that you would think would predict that? I would, for PCA, I, those two questions, those two questions are not nearly subtle enough. <laughs> it's like they're kind of the more Machiavellian. Well, no, PCL, for PCL. Oh, for PCL? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, we, they already mentioned that some other personality traits might be relevant right like uh, openness to experience a agreeableness example. would be in peace uh, and agreeableness perhaps um which is you know i mean that makes sense because you know psychopaths you know you know psychopathy would be obviously yeah. uh, less so um but i'm just wondering about other kinds of um uh if, if you know i mean i i'm not saying that i thought of anything but i'm just asking if you had thought of anything you were wondering Ooh. like oh well so nothing predicts it what might? Well, PCL sense is kind of vanilla, isn't it? It's like the yeah, the, the, the standard. Um, yeah, it's like what most people believe. I mean, boring. Like, yeah, and well, no, no, not boring. I mean, I'm certainly, I, I think PCL is under 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 threat. You know, PCL being basically liberalism, right? So, I mean, there's this kind of like, I mean, for example, people would often say, you know, when I argue against authoritarian political correctness, so when I argue against people saying, um, you ask me where I'm from, therefore that's a racist statement, and you're trying to other men, I'd say, no, 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 maybe he just wants to know where you're from. That's right. perfectly legitimate. Right? It could happen, you know, it's just <laughs> happens just all the time. You know? um, yeah. 
Uh, or in my case, when I, I said somebody was very, very, their English was excellent, apparently I meant the opposite of that. Oh. <laughs> no, I actually genuinely meant that your English was excellent. I wasn't trying to other or alienate you in yeah. any way whatsoever. You said your person in question said her English wasn't good enough. And I was just like, no, wow, it's really amazing. Apparently that was othering. Um, no, it's, you know, it's often, maybe sometimes it might be, don't know, can't speak for everybody, but... Certainly in my case, and I'd be fairly confident in predicting in the vast majority of cases where people make statements like that, it's not an indication of racism, othering or any other such bigotry. But with the authoritarian types, when they demand, no, I need validation, I can assume that it is, you know, the concept of microaggression. When I argue against that, then that is often in itself seen as a form of bigotry, right? So the, the, the kind of the the political correctness liberalism is quite different. Like the, the liberal political correctness, I'd actually quite agree with, you know, like I, I don't believe that people should be jumping and alleging things without evidence, which is the authoritarian thing. But just because I argue against that, it doesn't follow that I don't think that people shouldn't say nasty things to one another. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to go around burning Qurans. Um, I don't want anyone don't. to get a... No, no, right. you know, because I say I don't think somebody should be arrested for burning a Quran, and I right. genuinely don't, doesn't mean I think a person should burn a Quran. It's not the same <laughs> statement, right? But often it's presented that way, like, oh, you're arguing against the authoritarianism. That means you're in favor of burning Qurans. No, I don't want it to be illegal. Definitely shouldn't do it. <laughs> it's not a great idea. And I'm not talking about it's not a great idea from a consequential point of view. Right? I'm not talking about, you know, People will go crazy and attack you or try and burn your house down. That might happen too, but it's not a good idea from that point, that viewpoint too. But, but, but simply from the consequences on other people, you shouldn't do it because you shouldn't want to hurt other people's feelings and, and, unless you absolutely have to. You know, in some cases you do have to, but for the most part, you don't. And if you can avoid yeah. hurting other people, then avoid hurting other people. And the reason, you know, the reason why you're against kind of the authoritarian side of it is because as you can clearly see with the concept of microaggressions, if you've ever been on the receiving end of a bogus allegation, which by now we either all have or are living in fear of, right. it's a tyranny of the subjective where people can just make shit up, accuse you, punish you, and then try and claim status as a consequence. I'm against that. I'm not against being nice to people. Of course we should be nice <laughs> to one another. So that's why I'm a PC liberal. Um, and I think that's most normal people. I don't well, and so from that perspective, so here's um, uh, here's what I would sort of, uh, I feel like sort of came out of what you just said, which is that, um, you know, as you said, like most people are probably this PC liberal, right? And so if the majority, you know, to go back to your example of sort of the normal curve, right? Where's the center, right? Mm. And sort of you, you get, you know, the most people are sort of piled up in the center of the normal curve, right? Most scores, most people are all there, you know. Um, you know, if we think about the diversity of people's personalities, their, um, you know, their ideology, their uh, their interests, whether it's knitting or, you know, the ages, <laughs> um, you know, their, their gender, you know, um, there would be a lot more diversity where there's a larger group. Of course. Right? And where we would have maybe the more extremes, um, maybe there would be a little bit less diversity because there are fewer in the tails of the distribution. It's possible, it's possible that some of these 
kinds of things might predict those tails a little bit better than they yeah. would predict the the you know the masses i guess um and so while um i'm not ready to you know swallow this hook line and sinker i'm certainly willing to consider the possibility i'm still however of the opinion that it doesn't help us much in the fight the fight um you know in quotes um or the the efforts to push back because we can't uh, we can't identify people simply just based on you know what we think their personality is or even you know based on a few questions or whatever so i'm not i'm not sure how useful it is except that it's maybe um uh maybe it just makes those of us who've you know, been on the receiving end, feel a little better. better. But um, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you are nearly as Machiavellian as you ought to be. Of course, once we <laughs> know thyself and know thy enemy, and you'll never lose in a thousand battles. That the famous Chinese general <laughs> Sun Tzu said. Get the psychological profile of the enemy and uh, and exploit it. <laughs> yeah. No, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, from my perspective, I think that they're on to something. Um, I don't think you know we we've gone through the problems with psychopathy like you know demonstrably not all psychopaths are bad people you can be a psychopath and be an extremely not even well productive, again this, a hero, this is right? not this is not being a psychopath this is scoring higher on a psychopathy scale because <laughs> okay let, let me let me you see what i'm saying like not being a you know you're not a narcissist you score you score if you score higher on a narcissism scale but i'm i'm, I'm trying to take issue I'm, with the term. i know i'm being nitpicky okay i'm with you know you're saying dark triad I, invariably most people who are wartime heroes let's say like um i don't know an american like nelson you know nelson lord admiral nelson never mind you're not english um <laughs> Eisenhower, then you know Eisenhower, okay. right? Yes. A war hero. Um, somebody who, you know, was very, very important in winning the Second World War against the Germans, right? And yet would have had to have sent, made lots of difficult decisions under a huge amount of pressure um, and sent lots of young men to their deaths, um, possibly civilians to their deaths as well by choosing yes. who to defend and who not to defend. Um, you know, lots of awful decisions to be made every day for somebody like that, right? Um, and yet we rightly regard a man like that as a hero because the evil that he prevented was was much, much greater than any evil he had to do in order to prevent that evil from becoming, you know, all-powerful. Um, but, you know, I, I think if you and I were to jump in a TARDIS and go back to the 1940s or whatever and uh, sit eisenhower down take a break from fighting the japanese and the germans for a second just want to run you through this questionnaire yeah. um as one does don't worry we've got a time machine okay you're not going to lose it you know um if we were to do that then i think he probably would score very highly, mm -hmm. quite highly I, I chances think you're right. are right um so, right. So, so what i want to say is that, 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 that you know we are not necessarily when i say that the authors i think they're onto something i and we've been through the problems with Machiavellianism as well, when it could actually be the same thing as being Christian, for example, and turning the other cheek. Um, philosophically speaking, um, 
not even psychologically speaking, because I think this is a philosophical problem. Philosophically speaking, these terms need more work. And, you know, as you say, you can never get anything so it corresponds perfectly with reality because that's just too complicated. But you nevertheless can say meaningful things. I think your authors are already saying meaningful things. I think with a bit more philosophical work on the definitions, let's not call it Machiavellianism, for example, let's change that term um, and let's make it more robust philosophically. Um, the same with narcissism and psychopathy. I think that we could get more out of that. So they're onto something. Let's work on the terms philosophically. Let's test them in a more robust way, according to psychology. Um, but then, and that's yeah, 10 years you know, of research. Just... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Here, yeah. Anybody listening who wants to do their dissertation on, you know, yes, on this and, you know, um, so, but I, I still do get back to, you know, it, it's not too useful in, um, you know, an ideological discussion to say, oh, I bet you score high on psychopathy. No, it's you know? not. I mean, no, but from a Machiavellian yeah. point of view, it is. So like the fact that I was, I kind of predicted, like I, I read this paper a few years ago and it informed my, my tactics and how I fight work people. And because I was reasonably confident that the people I was going up against were often um, a little bit on the kind of psychopathic side, um, you know, I used that against them. And <laughs> it seemed to work quite well. Like I, you know, again, turn the other cheek, don't say anything, don't show any emotion, just, you know, be polite all of the time. Don't, don't get in, into a fist fight with them. Hold your position, try to stay as calm as you can and keep asserting your position. You know, repeat yourself if necessary. Rebut whatever yeah, they so, say, but never lose it. But that right, informed so, my approach. Right, so I them. guess, yeah, so I guess you're right. If, if, if you're sort of in a position where you need to uh, push back against something, if it makes the person, if it makes us feel, um, if I guess if, if it helps us uh, formulate our response, then there is value in it. It's it it feels divisive sometimes to me to talk about personality, but from that perspective, you're right. If we if we're if we're sort of using it just to think about you know, other people and the way in which if we truly use, use these kinds of things um, to think about how to interact with people in the best way possible, then it is completely useful. I agree. I agree. Right. So, I mean, I, what I'm saying is it's, it's a different, by understanding the psychological profile of the person you're engaging with. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that, by the way, the evidence doesn't suggest that all people who believe in no. are, are by like no this. Means. Not even close. By no yeah. means. And, and actually, as, as I, said at the beginning, most of the scholars that I know who really understand this are not like this at all. It's the advocates who claim to be scholars and are often academics, but aren't really scholars. Um, they're the ones in my anecdotal experience who tend to be like this. Um, but you know, if you have a psychological profile of a person who is like that, and you can develop one from the literature, then you, I have used it to some effect. And it would be completely well, I different. Think even, I yeah. think even if it's not, you know, even if it's not true, <laughs> if it helps us formulate arguments that end up, um, you know, advancing uh, the cause or or maybe just, you know, um, slowing the an assault or something like that, even if it's not true, it, you know, it it's, works, useful, it works. it's useful to 
it's useful as a perspective taking device. How's that? But I, you know, even, even if it's not, uh, perfectly, you know, again, even if it's not all that predictive, um, any, any sort of tool that helps us take another perspective, I think is, is valuable. But I think it, okay, I don't know it's true. All of the kind of usual caveats aside, um, I think it probably is true. I think narcissism <laughs> is, and psychopathy are in there. I think, yeah, Machiavellianism, well, I'm not so I, sure about. I don't think we should. I I'm just going anecdotal. Yeah, I don't think we should do it tonight because we were already like over an hour. But maybe we should talk about you know the other article, the virtue signaling, about the um, uh, virtuous victimhood and the dark triad. So maybe we should do that next week. That sounds absolutely delicious. Um, all right. So to <laughs> conclude, um, philosophically, I think we agree that there is some work that could be done in these dark triad terms, but that there might very well be something in there. I think Elizabeth's kind of 57% confident <laughs> there's something in there roughly. I'm more, uh, I'm more towards the 70%. Um, yeah, uh, this is because I'm, I'm into ideology and she's into psychology, which just kind of dictates different ways in which our brains work. Um, but hopefully um, you've got a, a perspective from both sides and you know you can agree with us entirely, agree with me entirely, if you like, or Elizabeth entirely, or you can think we're both full of crap. Um, I hope it's been an interesting discussion. Um, so yeah, I think there's something in it. Um, next week, we are going to continue the discussion on the dark triads. Hopefully we won't rehash everything, but we'll have to rehash a bit, um, you know, just to kind of, so that you don't forget and we don't forget. Um, and we'll look at victimhood. So um, in both- Very, diff very different article, very different uh, investigatory me uh, measures and experimental as opposed to correlational. Ooh. So that's, um, you know, I'm always on into the, you know, experimental. Uh, there's six, six or eight studies in this paper. So they-, they uh, Wow. Yeah, they went to town. Right. So I will endeavor to read that. Um, I read the title. Um, and so therefore, I'm very confident to, to talk to talk about it a little bit and say that it's about um, the dark triad, the Machiavellianism, uh, psychopathy and um, narcissism um, and how that correlates with being a victim or pretending to be a victim, um, as is common, as this article established, but as you probably know if you've talked to any of these people, as is very common among uh, critical social justice advocates who claim to be either a victim or on the side of victims, the authentic victims, but also the alt-right types who believe that white people are being targeted by the Jews, reptiles, whatever, um, and that they're trying to be replaced um, as if white people exist, but never mind. But yeah, they believe that they're victims. So we're going to look at those uh, psychological uh, traits in regards to victimhood or pretended victimhood. Good. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye.